Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. I wanted to ask you a question this morning to start off. How many of you have ever thought, ever had the thought that I thought I would be further along at this point in my life? Um, maybe it's, I thought I would be further along in my career at this point in my life. Um, I thought I'd be more settled at this point in my life. I thought I would be more secure uh, at this point in my life. Maybe on the other side, maybe, you know, it's Sunday morning, we're in church. Maybe it's, I thought I'd be more spiritual uh, at this time in my life. I thought I would sin less, do more bad, do fewer bad things at this point in my life. I, I just always thought that I would be further along at this point in my life, and, and um, so a couple of you nodded. I'm gonna pause and pray for the rest of you because you're lying to me, but, uh, but we all think that from time to time, and we're in this summer series, the best summer ever, and, and the first thing I wanna tell you is that the best summer ever has already been offered to us. The best summer ever has already been given to us. It's been offered to us through Christ, and it is because of grace. And this morning, we are going to talk about grace. And here is a beginning of grace. And by the way, grace isn't just something we do before a meal, uh, but grace is a gift that God has offered us, that God gives us. So here's a definition. All glory belongs to God alone. Jesus alone is Lord and Savior of this world. And the Bible alone is the authoritative word of God. Today we will discuss that we are saved, forgiven, embraced, loved, brought into the family of God, declared to be righteous and accepted into a relationship with God by grace alone, sola gratia, which means only grace, Latin for only grace, grace alone. It's another one of the five Reformation, uh, Reformation solas, the nature of grace, and so we call it the doctrine of grace. That it's one of the hallmark commitments, one of the hallmark things of the, of the gospel for us, of our Christian faith, is this idea of grace. Now, the Greeks would have called grace God's unmerited favor. We're gonna expand on that definition a little bit, uh, but it's God's gift to us that we don't deserve, that we haven't done anything to deserve. Grace is all over the Bible. Paul wrote these words to the church in Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work so that anyone may boast. We, and we live in a boasty world, right? Uh, we, we live in a world where people like to boast. Uh, we think that we've earned what we have. We think that we're the reason that we're so successful, so talented, so beautiful. But Paul says that we're saved by grace, and all that we have is because of God's grace. It's because of God's unmerited favor. And we want to dig into that this morning. So let's look at Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 4 to 10. Uh, and let me just say as a preface to this, that this book uh, of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a Roman city. It was a very prominent city in, in the time of Paul. It was probably written around A.D. 62 because we know from Acts 28 that uh, Paul had spent a couple of years in Ephesus. Now he's in prison and he is writing to the church there in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very important place to him and it was a very important city in this time. And so 
uh, Paul is writing in the second chapter, beginning in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated uh, with him at the, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Paul was very educated. Paul was very intelligent. Paul was a gifted writer. He was inspired by God's spirit to write these words, and he wants us to understand what God means by grace. And so he uses this rich, wonderful language for us. Look at this again. He says, for God being rich in mercy. God being rich in mercy. When you think about the word rich, you typically, first thing you think about is money, right? You think about somebody who's really rich, really has a lot of money. Well, here's what Paul is saying, that the God who made all the money, the God who created the gold that is in the ground, the God who did all of that, who created everything, the sun, the moon, and the stars, all of that belongs to him, all of that is his, that God is really rich. But what he says is he's really rich in mercy. He loves us so much. It says he's rich in mercy. And listen to this, because of the great love with which he is loved. With the, the great love with which he has loved. That God's love is so great. That word great, you, again, there's all kinds of connotations to that, but, but think about this for a second. That you could replace the word great with intensity because God, the intensity of his love for you. You can see the richness, the magnitude, the power of his love, the passion of his love for you that he, did, he offers us grace. It's because of him, it's because of how much we're loved. It's not because of anything that we've done, it's not because of anything that we've achieved. He says that we were dead in our trespasses, but he has made us alive in Christ because he loves us so much. And here's one thing I've learned about his love in my life, and that is that you can spend your whole life digging into the love of Jesus diving deep, as deep as you can every day into the love of Jesus, getting as far as you possibly can to understand, to comprehend, to get your arms around how much Jesus loves us, and at the end of your life, you know what you realize? That you've just scratched the surface. That his love is so deep, it's so great, it's so amazing, that you can spend your whole life digging into his love only to find out that you've just scratched the surface. There's so much there. His love is so amazing for us. That, here's the thing. He'll never run out. His love is that way for all of us. His love is eternal. Uh, his love can't run out. It, it means that you don't have to hustle and try to please him to, to get your piece of his love. 
to, to get his appreciation or his understanding, but his love for us is so rich in mercy, it is so great, it is so immeasurable that it will never run out. There is enough of his love for all of us and all of us together can spend our lives digging into his love, going as deep as we can into his love and we will only scratch the surface. It's that great, it's that big. Okay, so here's the deal. That's awesome, isn't it? And I'm looking at you, and it doesn't seem like it's so awesome. Right? I mean, I wish I could just bring you up one at a time and say, look at these guys. Seriously. I mean, we're talking about something that's just unbelievable. That no matter what you do in your life, no matter how bad you think you've been, his love is greater. His love is richer. You, you might not think you've been so bad, but you might just think, I've been so lazy, and I've been so apathetic, and I've been so shallow in my life, and, and I've just sort of taken the whole, you know, how much God loves me, and I, I've just kind of pretended it wasn't there. I've just sort of let it slide in my life. How could God still love me? How could God be pleased with me if I've lived my life that way? And his love is so big. His mercy is so great that he's constantly inviting us in. He's saying, if you just dig a little bit, you'll see how deep my love is for you, how anxious I am to forgive you, how desperately I want to welcome you into my arms. That's the love that he offers us. That's what Paul is trying to help us understand. That's why he's using all of this rich language. He says that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, and listen to this, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus the immeasurable richness of his grace in kindness. That God is kind to us. God doesn't treat us the way we deserve, but in his love, he treats us with kindness, with grace, with love. He's a gentleman. He doesn't pressure, he doesn't push us. He doesn't force us to love him. He offers us his grace. He offers us his love. And, and it's not because of who I am. And it's not because of who you are. It's not because we've done anything special. I know that sometimes we feel like that, that we sort of, you know, I, I've always gone to church and I'm a pretty good person and I'm kind of special. But it's because, Paul says, because of Christ Jesus that all of this is true for us. It's because Jesus, that though he was the very existence of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a servant, and being found in the likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and death on the cross. That's the Jesus. That's the one that this is all for. Not because I've earned it, not because I've done anything for it, but because of what Jesus has already done for me, God offers his kindness and his grace for us. That's his promise to us. That's his gift to us. So I have another little definition of grace for you to try out this morning. And it's simply this, because in the Bible, a lot of times you see mercy and you see grace and they're kind of used together. And so I wanna give you a picture of what that looks like. And this is it, that mercy is not getting what we deserve and grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve because of our sin, because of our rebellion. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. God's God's love for us, God's forgiveness, God's mercy in our lives. That's what it looks like. When Jen and I were in high school, we had a Bible study teacher that 
taught us this acrostic for grace. And she taught us that grace was God's righteousness at Christ's expense. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. He did that for us. He gave himself for us. I, I read a good story this week. Uh, uh, I don't know if any of you noticed, but uh, NFL camp started. And, okay, a couple of you guys being honest with me, all right? A couple of you guys, you know, I pay attention to this stuff. They started this week, and so all these cool articles come out about, you know, football. And I read this article. It was an ESPN documentary. It was called The Four Falls of Buffalo. So the Buffalo Bills football team from 1990 to 1993 got to the Super Bowl every year for four straight years, and they lost the Super Bowl every year uh, for four straight years. And in 1990, uh, the kicker, Scott Norwood, would shoulder the greatest weight during the 1990 Super Bowl, Super Bowl 25, between the New York Giants and the Buffalo Bills with eight seconds left in the game. Norwood missed a 47-yard field goal. No one felt more pain than Norwood, even 20 years after he missed that kick. Here's how he described his feelings. Sorrow, I guess, and disappointment in letting down the teammates that are there on the field of battle with you. I get choked up thinking about it, putting myself back in that situation. The, the lows of the lows. But nothing prepared Scott Norwood, this goes on, Nothing prepared Scott Norwood for the greeting he would receive in Buffalo the next week. Nearly 30,000 screaming fans met Norwood and his teammates in Buffalo after the loss. Many of them chanting and screaming, we want Scott, we want Scott. Here's how Norwood described the scene. We got back to town and I did not know what to expect. What I really wanted to do was just remain behind the scenes, but there was a chant that intensified. I was not expecting to be called um, to the front like that. I had to speak off the top of my mind, and real quick, I think in a sense, that's when the truest feelings arise. And then the documentary shows Scott with the mic in his hand telling the crowd, I know that I've never felt more loved than I do right now. Expecting and maybe even deserving com condemnation, Norwood found a small taste of amazing grace. At the end of the story, it says that, that uh, the little additional, uh, to the, in addition to the fans, Norwoods uh, would find support from his team. Bruce DeHaven, the Bill's special teams coach, would later name his adopted son after Scott. And, and then others rode to, rose to Norwood's defense. One of the players said that, uh, he said, I'm sure he would have made that, but there was an Apache helicopter flying over the stadium, and I think the wind created by the helicopter shifted the kick, and he missed it. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have made it. And, you know, that's, that's grace, right? And optimism, but that's grace. It, taking this guy from the lowest point of his life and saying, you're, you know what? You're not defined by that. You're still loved. Magnet, multiply that a gazillion times and you just begin to get a sense of God's grace. You just begin to get a sense of God's love because we always wish that we were further along and we're still making mistakes. We're still stumbling. We're, we're still rude. We're still self-centered. Uh, we're still crass. Uh, we're still judgmental. We're still critical, all of those things. And we need his grace. We never run out of the need for his grace. And he is constantly offering us his grace because it is immeasurable. It'll never run out. And he offers that to us. He offers us 
his grace. Grace is good, but it's not soft. Grace is not concerned about making people feel good. Grace is concerned about making us good, allowing us to experience the love of Jesus in our lives. You guys all remember the song, Amazing Grace? Uh, One of the lines says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. John Newton, the man who wrote the words, was a slave trader. He lived a terrible life, but he found grace, and he was able to say, it was grace that taught my heart to fear when I realized how wicked I was, when I realized how sinful I was, when I realized how far away from God I was. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, but grace, my fears relieved. It seems to us that grace could teach somebody's heart to fear, And I think grace would say it's important that you pay attention to the uneasiness in your heart. Uh, Pay attention to those feelings that you're not good enough, um, that you can't relieve yourself of that feeling that I need more accomplishments, I need a stronger will, I need to go to the gym more, I need to do more, I need to be more. All of those things that you need to be saved more, you need to be saved from the sin in your life that God offers his grace. He says you can't ever do enough. It's not about doing more, it's about understanding God's grace in your life. It's about receiving his love. It's about taking a deep breath and understanding, letting yourself, allow yourself to appreciate how immeasurable his grace is, how deep, how wide, how high, how long his love is for you, and and the lengths that God has gone to to show you his great love. Toward the end of his life, John Newton wrote these words in a letter. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. If grace came to us, it would most likely say stop. You don't have to be any more successful than you are right now. You don't have to win any more than you've already won. You don't have to be any more talented. You don't have to look any better than you do. All of these things are gifts of grace from God. You can't boast about them. It's not bad to succeed. It's not bad to win. It's not bad to be smart or talented. God can use all of these things for his glory, but they will not save you. God might say, grace might tell us that your hunger your hunger for those items is idolatry because they determine your level of happiness. Trying to be good enough causes you to overwork yourself. You fail to see the gift of the moment. You overlook people and you neglect what really matters to know God and his word. You're so focused on yourself that you don't have anything for anyone else. You're so focused on yourself that you don't pray. You don't want to serve You want to serve yourself rather than serving his kingdom and you don't have a generous heart because it's never enough. You never have enough when you're trying to do it on your own. The old alternative to grace that the Bible talks about is salvation by works. If I just work a little harder, if I just try a little harder, I can earn my way, I can please God that way. You know, the Ephesians were famous. Uh, They had this temple built in Ephesus to the goddess Artemis. 
And uh, in the ancient world, their temple was one of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. It was this massive temple to the goddess Artemis. And, and uh, the Romans called her Diana. But this goddess, they would worship this goddess and what their life was around, around the temple, it was about appeasing the gods. It was about offering the right kind of sacrifices, doing the right kind of things, that, that if they could do the right kind of things, if they could appease the gods, then, then their crops would grow and they would have babies and they would build houses and, and their life would go well if they could just keep the gods happy. But don't displease the gods because then everything's going to go wrong. You're going to be punished for it. And then Paul comes along and he starts talking about Jesus. And he says it's not about trying to appease the gods. It's not about trying to please them and do things for them. But it's about understanding how much God loves you and that he sent his son and he offers you grace. And it's through grace that we're saved. The only way to please God is by giving our lives away to him. To allow him to come into our lives. To allow him to extend his grace to us and to receive it. Here's the problem, because corruption is universal, because it affects every person like aging and deterioration, we, we've gotten used to it. We get used to this world, whether it's injustice or poverty or violence or abuse or apathy, we get used to it because it's in all of us and, and God never gets used to it. God never, uh, says it looks okay. He never looks at this broken and corrupt world and says that's okay. Grace doesn't do that. Grace isn't soft, but grace is real. And we're all stuck in that. I, I read this, another great story about this little girl. She's four or five years old. Her name is Shauna. And uh, she, was, she was a busy little kid. And, and so her mom, she was driving her mom crazy and she wanted to ride her tricycle. So her mom took her out in the front and said, uh, okay, now here's the tree, and here's the mailbox. And you can ride your tricycle between the tree and the mailbox. I'm gonna go in the house and get a few things done, but we have a big picture window. I can see you, I'm gonna keep my eye on you, and you can't go, but you can only ride between the tree and the mailbox. You can't go any further, and, and if you do that, if you ride any further, I'm gonna have to spank you. And little Shauna st stuck out her hip and said, you might as well spank, because I got places to go. <laughs> and we live like that, right? That's kind of our lives. God says, I'm giving you parameters, and we say, you might as well spank, because I got places to go. And then we get there, and we find out it's not far enough. It's not enough for us. It doesn't satisfy us. It's not real for us. And we realize after time that we are so, uh, that we're lost now that we're without hope, and he says, this is where my grace comes in. This is where my love for you is shown. This is what I want you to understand. God's standard is the sinless purity of his very nature. He is not severe or unreasonable. The only conditions under which his creation can flourish, uh, can experience justice and love and peace is through him, because that's how he made us. That's who he's called us to be. In God's eyes, in a morally sane vision, sin is the horror of our souls. It separates us from the love and the grace of God. I want to read a list of words, and I, I want to see if any of these characterize you um, ever. Uh, prideful, judgmental, cold-hearted, apathetic, uh, towards the poor, Greedy, envious, lustful, unfaithful, deceitful, promise breaker, secretly cruel, cowardly, stubborn, self-centered, careless, joylessness, 
Complaining, loveless, how are we doing? Grace would say spiritual and moral sanity begins with this recognition. It begins with the understanding this, that God, I have neglected. God, I have neglected you and your ways. I've ignored you and your way of life. I have defied you and your ways. There is something wrong, something broken in me, and I can't fix it, and I need your grace. That's what it means, and that's what he offers us. Paul wrote in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, uh, and are justified by his grace as a gift from God. That we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but God offers us his justification as a gift, as a gift to us, something that we haven't earned. It's his mercy You can have acceptance, forgiveness, and the love you crave no matter who you are or where you have been. Just stop trying to earn it and receive it. Invite Christ. You know, some of us, some of us have never accepted and some of us have never received that grace in our lives. And if you're here this morning and for some reason you've never received his grace, this would be a great morning to do that. But others of us have. We've received that grace, but for whatever reason we still feel like It's not enough, we've gotta do more, we've gotta earn it, we've gotta do better. We think we're in a contest with other people, and you know what really really catches us, what really captures our minds is that we think it's about how we compare to other Christians. You know, when you're driving down the road and and you see somebody in a nicer car than you, you kinda compare. When you're in church and you see somebody that kinda looks like they're more spiritual than you, we, we still compare. And God says, no, stop. It's about grace. It's about what I've prepared for all of you. It's what I've done in your life. It's not about what you've done. I'm not saying that we don't pursue excellence or do our best. I'm simply saying that whether you feel like an outrageous success or a complete failure, it doesn't define you. You are defined by the love of God and the grace that he has offered. You can be off the charts successful, you can feel like a complete failure, but neither of those define who you are. We are defined by who we are in Jesus. We're defined by his grace in our lives. That's what really matters at the end of the day, right? That's what we can really count on. I've been saved by grace. I haven't done anything for it. It's not about me. There's a newsflash, huh? It's not about me. How easy it is for us to switch that, to slip back into somehow this is about what makes me feel good. Uh, Somehow this is about what makes me feel important or successful or valued. And and Jesus says, how can you be valued any more than the God of the universe giving his life for you? How, How can you experience any more value than me laying down my life for you because I love you in spite of the fact that you don't deserve it? Can can you think of anything of greater value? Can you think of a greater expression of love and grace than Jesus? He's saying, stop. Stop killing yourself on that treadmill. Stop trying to earn this. Just receive it. See how much I love you. And here's what happens. And and this is so awesome because here's what happens in my life. That, That when I can get my arms around his grace, when I can get my arms around his love for me, then something clicks in my heart and I wanna live to please him. 
I, I just, it leaks out of me. It comes out, it, it sort of pours through me that when I've experienced the grace that Christ offers, when I experience his love, then I want to read my Bible because it talks about him. I wanna know him more. I pray because I wanna talk to him. I, I wanna thank him, I, I wanna worship him, I wanna, I wanna talk to him. Not because of what he'll do, not because of for all the answers for all the stuff, not because of me, but because of his grace. And when I experience his love and his grace in my life, I wanna somehow respond to that. That's what he calls us to. It's not about just keeping the rules. It's not about just doing more. It's about living out in that grace. And I'm so grateful for what he's done in my life that somehow I need to express it. Somehow it needs to come out in my life. It needs to come out in your life. It's not saying that we don't try hard. It's not saying that we don't work hard when we go to work. It's just simply saying that we know that our grace, our life, our salvation is in Jesus. I read another sports story, oddly, there's a theme here, uh, about a basketball team in Gainesville, the Gainesville Tornadoes in Gainesville, Texas. And uh, the Gainesville Tornadoes have a fan base of zero. Um, that, that the uh, Gainesville Tornadoes, it's a correctional school. And so these kids are incarcerated. And they have, but if you, uh, on good behavior, uh, which knows, I don't know how many kids are on that team, but if you're in good behavior, then you can play on the basketball team and you get to make a few trips every year and play, but nobody ever comes uh, to the games. They interviewed one player and he said, my parents came to one game, but they didn't come to the other games because they didn't have time. The other students at Gainesville, a juvenile correction facility for felony offenders, uh, they don't, their families don't come to the game either, mostly because they can't. And the other kids at this facility don't come because they can't get out. Uh, but one of the perks for good behavior is a chance to leave the prison a few times a year to play basketball. They play against private schools like Vanguard College Prep in Waco. And it was before a recent matchup that two Vanguard players, Hudson Bradley and Ben Martinson, announced that it didn't seem right to play a team with no fans. So they, before their home game against Gainesville, Bradley and Martinson asked some Vanguard fans for a favor, to cheer for Gainesville instead. The shocked Gainesville players walked onto the court to find their own signs of support, their own cheerleaders, even their own fan section. Half the crowd was assigned to cheer for Gainesville, the other half for the home team. One Gainesville player said, uh, when I'm an old man, I'll still be thinking about this. Hudson Bradley said, I mean, every time they scored, the gym was just lit up with cheering and clapping and everyone was on their feet. It showed me the real input, impact that encouragement and support for anybody can make. And then one journalist, Steve Hartman, summarized the story. He said, we all need somebody to believe in us. We all need someone who knows our mistakes and loves us anyway. And for that, the Gainesville players can't thank those boys enough. We all need grace, don't we? We all know our shortcomings, we all know our failures, and we all know our need for grace. Grace, another way, it's like, it's like a roller coaster. 
because we try hard and we receive grace and we're on this ride. And we know that we don't deserve it, but we know that God uh, gives it to us. And we have those turns in our lives and we have the ups and the downs in our lives. But we know that it's God's grace that sustains us. We know that his grace is greater than all of that. Uh, Verse 10, Ephesians 2 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen to those words for just a quick second. This is how Paul wraps this up. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're his workmanship. He made us for something. He created us for something. He has something for us to do. We were knit together by him. We have a purpose that we get through him. That we're his workmanship, which God prepared beforehand. He says, I have things for you to do. I have something for you to do that nobody else can do. If you're not following me and you're not being obedient to what I've called you to, then something's gonna be missing in the world because nobody else can fill that spot that you have. You're my workmanship and I've created you. I've prepared a way for you that you should walk in them. John Newton, again, later in his life said this, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You are his workmanship, and he's still working in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your reminder of your grace for us. And, and Lord, this is, it, it seems like it should be so easy, but it's so hard because there's something inside of us that, that wants to take credit, that we want to take control, that, that we want to feel like we've accomplished it on our own. And yet, Lord, we recognize that we can't. We recognize that when we try, we dig in deeper. We are helpless without you, Lord, and we need your grace in our lives. We need your forgiveness. We need your mercy. So Lord, whatever it takes this morning, I ask that you would remove our pride, our stubbornness, Lord, our fear, whatever it is that keeps us from from wrapping our arms around your grace, allowing your grace to fill our hearts and our minds. Lord, please give us the strength to rest in your grace. Lord, give us your peace to rest in your grace. Help us to acknowledge, Lord, our helplessness, our need for you, and to embrace the grace and the mercy that you offer us. And Lord, it's all for you. It's for your kingdom. It's because of you. We don't take any credit for it, Lord, but we are grateful people this morning. We are worshipful people this morning because of who you are and and what you've done for us. And so, Lord, I ask all of this in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, 
and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Would you stand with me, please? Um, so I have a little opportunity for you. Um, just wonder sometimes, how am I doing at receiving God's grace? Here's what I've learned. Here's a little tip. How am I doing at extending God's grace? How, how am I doing at ex extending God's grace to others? How am I doing with people that I don't agree with? How am I doing with people that are hard to love? How am I doing with people that are hard to like? Uh, how am I doing with my own family and my own significant relationships? How am I doing at extending grace to others? Because that's the tip. That'll tell you how you're doing at receiving God's grace in your life. That we have a tendency to assume that God's treating us the way we're treating others, that that's a reflection. And here's what the Lord says, I want you to receive grace. And it, when you've received my grace, you just can't help yourself but extend grace to others because we know what God has done in our lives. We know what his forgiveness looks like and, and feels like, and so we can extend that same grace to other people. So how are you doing? Think about that. How are you doing in extending grace? We have our prayer partners in the corner. If you'd like prayer this morning, I would encourage you to stop by and and allow them to pray with you and for you. And also our prayer table that's always there. And you can write your prayer requests down. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, some of, some of you, uh, we've been praying for you. And, and maybe the Lord's answered that prayer. And go write that down. Because we always open our prayer time by giving the Lord thanks. We open our prayer time by praising him for, for what he's already done, for answered prayer. So we love to include those. So please... Uh, feel free to do that as well. But write your request down and we'd love to pray for you. And I'm gonna be praying for us this week that, that the Lord allows us a new sense of his grace, of his immeasurable love, his kindness through Jesus toward us, that we'll experience that peace that he offers by his grace. I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.